Malcolm Holine is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holine, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you as always. Appreciate that. And I remind everybody, one of the themes of this week, especially with our journey to the Holy Land, there are a lot of people we need to keep in mind. Those who are wounded, those who've been kidnapped, those families that have been displaced uh, and are in a very difficult situations, those wives and mothers who are uh, handling things alone with hundreds of thousands of reservists on the front. There are a lot of people we need to keep in mind. I know that during candlelighting in Kiddush, uh, people are trying their best to remember those who are not at a Shabbat table and not necessarily with their families this Shabbat for all the reasons I just mentioned. So let's keep them all in mind as we go into this Shabbat Lech Lecha. Malcolm, everybody wants to know, and there seems to be many anxious people in Israel. That's what I observed when I was there. Any idea when this all-out ground war effort is going to begin? There's still no indication there was a more extensive uh, incursion into Gaza last night. Everybody, thank God, returned safely. Uh, they are testing and checking and destroying infrastructure when they go in. Uh, it's called softening the target. But also because you have the network of tunnels underground, because you know that they booby-trapped many places, because we know that they are have um, in place uh, thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers, there's uh, of fighters, of terrorists. The uh, Also, the uh, concern that Israel has about the hostages and the hope that uh, they will be able to be extricated uh, alive, even though no one knows how many are really living. And of course, the uh, Hamas did what everybody expected, and that is to say 50 are dead because of Israel bombings when there's no evidence of that. Uh, so the um, the timing has to do with a, a number of factors, including the positioning of American defense systems. As you saw yesterday, there were plane after plane came in again with uh, ammunition and equipment, which Israel desperately needs and which American troops need, uh, being stationed as they are in various locations. They're not going to fight for Israel. They're not going to be part of the army. They will be advising. They can do logistical support. But uh, the fighting will be done by the IDF. Malcolm, I mean, we know what the prime minister said immediately after the massacre and, of course, made a commitment to uh, to go in and uh, wipe out Hamas. And we know all that. We know the support that they've gotten from the United States, both actual support, uh, whether it be money or military equipment, and, of course, the public comments made by President Biden and others. We know all of that. But this week, the prime minister had an opportunity to really tell the people of Israel that we need to be extra careful for the reasons you just mentioned, especially for the fact that there are hundreds hundreds of hostages being held by the enemy. And he went in the exact opposite direction. He went ahead and he doubled down and said, very, very soon we are in fact going in. And I mean, I'm sure this was a response to the anger in Israel, because it seems when you listen to the radio and watch TV there, there's nobody who's not angry that he hasn't gone in already. But but he could have said, he could have said, we have considerations like the hostages, etc., and, and calmed everybody down. Instead, he doubled down and said within hours or 
or certainly within a few days, we're going to start this massive operation. Tell me about the prime minister and what he is saying to the public. So uh, if you remember, we've, we've been through this story before when troops were kept for a long time. And, you know, they get very uh, antsy when you're day in, day out, already three weeks sitting at the border. The response to the call-up, as you know, was astounding, 140% of, of the call-up. Uh, many people coming, volunteering, all the support efforts, and all the families who are dislocated, they worry about their families. Some have gone back, you know, for short visits, because then most of them are not very far from their families. The, the determination of the soldiers remains very strong, and the determination of the public. Today, there were hits even on Tel Aviv. They hit a apartment building in Tel Aviv. And how they still have the capacity to, to launch so many rockets and so far that from Gaza all the way to the outskirts of Haifa, uh, it shows the capacity of the enemy and what they have developed. And that raises a lot more questions about how all of this happened uh, without Israel uh, realizing the extent of, of their capacity. The So the prime minister, though, has to look at this and think about what is the message the enemy gets, not just the people of Israel. Right. He also has to consider uh, other countries in the region and, and wants to convey the message that there's not going to be a slackening, that there isn't going to be a ceasefire, that there isn't going to be you know, a, a determination to allow the enemy to, to get all of the things that they want. He wants to keep the pressure on them. I can't say that I think every one of his remarks were the best or the smartest. I think sometimes you should just shut up when, right. you know, when you lose some of these raids and things, you just feed the hostile American press and those organizations to keep saying, you know, who, who are claiming 7,000 victims. But remember, these numbers come from the, from the Hamas Ministry of Health. <clears throat> and they, they are, of course, claiming a lot of children to cover the children they massacred. And no doubt there are some who have been killed, but you can certainly be very dubious, as even President Biden was, of the numbers. And and more than that, I think the prime minister, uh, you know, looks at the, the media, all the lies, the distortions. You see the New York Times still trying to justify yep. their misreporting on, on the hospital, that the, the uh, you know, the lack of cement and pipes, they don't say it's because they were building tunnels or because they used the pipes for water system for, for uh, rockets. And the, you know, the, there are so many distortions, misrepresentations on a daily basis about what's going on. So I think the prime minister, and I, I understand the concerns you're expressing. I, I share some of it. I think too many ministers say too many things and use language that the enemy then appropriates against us. But there's one other factor you didn't mention, or at least I want to, you know, I want to take it on directly. And that's uh well, I don't know if you agree with or trust the reporting of Patrick Kingsley and Ronan Bergman in the New York Times, but the article begins with, its troops are massed on the Gaza border and described as ready to move, but Israel's political and military leaders are divided about how, when, and even whether to invade, according to seven senior military officers and three Israeli officials. Is it possible that in his, you know, in his inner cabinet, there are those who are saying there should be no invasion at all? There are many who are afraid of the cost uh, to Israeli soldiers, Israeli lives, because of the booby trapping, because of the preparation, because of the mines, because of the 
hostages because of everything one can make a case against it. There is no way that Israel can allow Hamas to remain after this and to rebuild as they will. And Iran is committed to rebuilding it. Look at Khamenei's statements or AEC statements yesterday and and each day. Uh, the uh, uh, the continued shipments of of weapons and large stocks of weapons. They're sending it through uh, through Jordan, through Iraq, uh, Jordan into the West Bank, through Iraq and Syria, trying to land uh, planes and and getting stuff to Hezbollah and as well as their militias. So there, it's a multi front war. The concern about Hezbollah launching a massive effort when we go in, I'm sure, affects the thinking of, of some of the military people. But the, I don't think the people of Israel will tolerate not going in and not wiping out once and for all these monstrous and, and dangerous people. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's the choice. And if you listen to what's going on, as I said, uh, whether it be the public expressing itself on Israeli television or radio or anybody you see, th- th- there's such an anger and such a, an, in some ways it sounds like a need uh, to go and uh, make good on the commitment to destroy the enemy, or at least, you know, uh, do as good a job as possible at doing that. Uh, and then the rumor started that sometime before this Shabbos, it actually would begin. So many people were predicting last night, but not there yet, I guess, at this point. Also, I'm glad you mentioned about the uh, uh, the red alerts. I mean, the, the, I mean, you've always pointed this out, and I think it's so important, especially for people on this side of the world to remember, and it's something that we were eyewitness to now, uh, you know, over the last couple of days in Israel, uh, one red alert and your life's upside down. I mean, trying to get your kids into the shelter, uh, trying to, you know, take a break from what you're trying to accomplish or doing. And of course, this is this is just and, and that's a, a small little piece compared to the hundred thousand people in hotels, dormitories and other places that have been displaced from their homes in the north and south. What women are going through and their husbands and the fathers of their children are now at war. And, 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 the, and of course, those who are waiting for the abducted to to come back and those who are, you know, with the wounded in, in the hospital. I mean, it is so over. You described this to us. And of course I saw it now in person. It is so overwhelming how this has completely overtaken the country and how it has transformed it into this, you know, very, you know, a, a powder keg of, of, of emotion and of, of, of trying to, to keep up with life. It is, we, we don't appreciate what's going on from thousands of miles away. And I think it's one of the most important factors to remember. I, that's absolutely true. And as much as people imagine, now that you've seen it, and I, as you know, I was there in Be'iri when they found the bodies and the, the day after the war, after some Chastorah, our some Chastorah, I was that in Siderot and in, in Be'iri. I will, I will not speak about it because I don't have words to describe it so people understand. But Israel, is, we remind it, is a very small country. Sacha called strong army, great economy, great minds, but it's still a small country. I can't imagine if the USA hadn't been backing Israel in this war into the degree that they have. And whatever criticisms you have of the administration, whatever else, the fact that the two aircraft carriers are there, the fact that the destroyers, others, other equipment, the fact that they are sending in sometimes tens of planes of, of equipment uh, and the and the support at the United Nations, and the support of, of some of the European countries, which is unusual. Um, I think you can't imagine what, what the situation would be. The economic life has come to a standstill. Yeah. You can sustain that for a week, two weeks, but people don't have income. And the government can't give out, uh, you know, they give a thousand shekels, I think, to the families who are dislocated from the South. 
and thank God there are philanthropists and other people who are helping, but but many of the families don't have a place to go. And they, you know, going into a hotel is not a long-term solution. Yeah. So you 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 have to look at how life has come to a standstill for so many people. The amazing chesed, despite that, the, the, how everybody is mobilized. You, you A call for blood, in one hour, they fill the quotas. The, the, the Haredim who are down every single night, feeding the soldiers, bringing food, doing barbecues, doing a dancing with them. It's, it's unbelievable. They made green tzitzes because the army, you know, because they have to be consistent <laughs> with the uniforms. They made 10,000 pairs. They just told me yesterday that one of the Chabad groups said the, and, and what you alluded to in your question earlier, which is a, a troublesome thing, is if the people lose trust in their elected officials in the government and don't, don't have the confidence and you see the numbers reflect that, that is a very uh, disturbing and worrisome situation. I heard a member of the military, pretty high up officer, say that this is Milchemet Hashichur. This is now 1947. If we win, we continue with uh, you know Baruch Hashem estate, and God forbid if we lose, I don't have to fill in the rest of that. And 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 that is the attitude in Israel, and I think it's one of the reasons, frankly, that the people are so demanding that this ground and ground offensive start because they really do feel they're fighting for their lives. This is it, there is no option of that of of not defeating the enemy and uprooting it regardless we have to 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 face it down and take on iran if necessary and hopefully the united states and others in the region will will uh, will join the barbarity of the enemy has been clearly demonstrated their capacity is also demonstrated time will only be enhance those those uh, factors so it's really imperative this, and we have to make it clear to people that this is not just a battle for Israel. It's a battle for America. It's a battle for the West. It's against. It's the drawing the red line against the the, the terrorists and their supporters against the evil the, the designs and massive designs of Iran and all of its proxies. We have to understand that this is such a significant uh, battle. It's not one they can afford to lose. I think being cautious in the way you go in. Is is clarify is clearly called for, but as you said, I think that they have to clarify it to the people. They have to retain the support of the people. Till now, I think they do. That you see, even people, the leftists, the people who organized the demonstrations just a few weeks ago. It's hard to believe that uh, are now amongst the biggest supporters and are out there helping and and working. Yeah. We uh, we were at a spot in Jerusalem uh, this week where uh, where all, uh, if not the majority, if not all, then the majority of the Jerusalem rallies took place during the summer on the issue of judicial reform. And we're approaching going, oh, oh, it looks like they're setting something up. I wonder what's going on. And of course, it was a rally about unity and a rally about helping the soldiers as you would suspect during this time. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. All right, there's a lot happening on this side of the world that people are demanding I speak to you about, and I will, but just another word about the Middle East for a second. What do we know about these attempts on... Uh, on um, uh, American bases in Iraq and and other areas and and frankly did it not get the attention it normally would because they thank God the, the, you know no casualties or major damage um, tell us about that 
Well, this is an ongoing uh, issue. It's just got highlighted now. And the United States last night struck in Syria uh, with airplanes and uh, hopefully did a lot of damage because they, they, they attacked American troops. We have 900 troops in Syria, about 700 in Iraq. They fired rockets at them. There were injuries, light, but but injuries nonetheless. Right. And uh, and America has said that this is not related to the war in, in Israel. This is uh, defending American troops. So the attacks continue. They, they want to root out any American presence. They declare it. This is Iran, even Turkey, but, but certainly Russia wants to work with any one of the, the two, the three get together in different combinations all the time. But Iran and Russia primarily uh, want to get all American presence out. Uh, that would be a, a, a very bad mistake. And, and thank God President Trump and President Biden have sustained that presence, even though it's very limited. Uh, but it continues. And they are, are attacking American interests and American uh, facilities all along in Iraq. And there has to be a strong and determined response. And I think Israel is showing them how you do it, that you that you, you can't be cowered by the threats. You just have to do it because more people will suffer if not. All right. New Speaker of the House in Washington, as we know, um, Israel is obviously going to. Well, I don't know if they're going to be seeking out, but certainly the United States is going to continue to offer um, uh, financial aid and military aid. Do you think there's anything that Israel will need at this point that uh, between the White House and Congress they won't get? The, the remember, this is a hundred billion dollar plus package, and only ten million, about ten percent, eleven percent, is going to Israel. The amount that Israel will need is so astronomical. Ten billion dollars is great. It's very generous. It's it's very important. It's not going to meet the needs of what Israel will have long term. The you know the Iron Dome it has to fire sometimes, especially from the north, multiple rockets all the time. And there aren't big stockpiles of the rockets for these, uh, for the anti-aircraft systems, for the uh, anti-missile systems. The United States uh, sent the two uh, batteries that they have remaining of the uh, Patriots and the remaining missile stock, which is only about 300 missiles, uh, anti-missiles. So we need to see that production is ramped up. We need to see that more and more equipment gets to Israel faster. A lot of the equipment they're receiving is stuff that they paid for before, but the delivery is being expedited. We also know that the uh, stockpiles were depleted to Ukraine. We hope that they'll be replenished. But I'll, I'll give you one example of, of things we need. The, Israel needs a lot of rifles, uh, modern rifles, to protect the people That's in right. Yudon Shomron who could right. face you know, the influx of weapons that are coming from Iran through the system I mentioned before, through Iraq, Syria, but ending up in Jordan and being smuggled into the, quote, West Bank, uh, is a, is a, a, a eminent threat. So one so, of the reasons that the Iron Dome has been so effective all these years is that it has been able, as a program, to keep up with the pace of enemy attacks, right? The, the volume of rockets and missiles it's been able to keep up with. If, God forbid, that volume goes way up, especially if Hezbollah and Iran decide to attack from the north, uh, it may be completely overwhelmed. It could be, yes, absolutely. And they know it. They they are. Uh, the question is, does Hezbollah really want to get into this war? Do they want to face, does Iran want to see its major ally in the region devastated? Uh, and all of that investment and the people of Lebanon 
might take advantage of it if, if there was enough of a destruction to actually move on him. But, you know, they control so much of the infrastructure. But absolutely, if, if it's estimated that they have as much as 150,000 missiles. Now, some of them are older, degraded, perhaps. And, you know, many of them are in the homes of people living in the South. So it's not just a question of going blowing up uh, stockpiles in, in, in the southern Lebanon. But the and and they use human shields as they did do in Gaza. The 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 danger, of course, is that if uh, two three thousand rockets are fired, or even a thousand, uh, in a short period, the Iron Dome can't yeah. can't accommodate that. So you have also David Sling. You have other means, and mm. it probably would require preemptive strikes to prevent that kind of a launch. Do we know anything about um, uh, about Congressman Mike Johnson's attitude toward Israel? Very positive. He's been to Israel. I know people were there with him. Uh, all the indications are very positive. That's very good, to, to say the least. All right. Uh, this may take us to the end of this segment. It may not, but you could imagine, especially with the majority of this audience being on this side of the world, there are a lot of very concerned people. You live in a noticeably uh, large Jewish neighborhood, and even with that and the support system around you and everybody who's in different cities around the United States, uh, there are people who are uh, who are in fear of uh, what uh, the next day may bring the rallies, the demonstrations, students being uh, trapped in uh, in libraries, on campuses, uh, the uh, demonstrations uh, um, uh, when they get out of hand uh, that end up attacking students who are holding Israeli flags. And of course, the list goes on and on. Concern for synagogues, Jewish businesses. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, Malcolm, but you can imagine what the, uh, we know about the tension and fear among our brothers and sisters in Israel. It's different here, but I believe there is a tension and fear. You're a leader uh, who, uh, uh, for decades on this side of the world has always been there uh, when Jews have been in peril. What could you tell people about the current situation? I do think it's a very delicate moment. I think it's uh, it's frightening to see what has happened to the next generation uh, through our campus, though, as anybody who listened to this, our weekly interviews in this show know that for um, 10 years, 15 years, all of this was predictable. We've seen the deterioration. Uh, I, I can't say that we could have anticipated the escalation and the some of the outrageous things that administrations and universities, that the a, a generation across the board of people who are not are, have joined the the uh, call for you know Palestine River to the sea, to, and other calls, even more blatant things about burning Jews and and uh, uh, physical assaults. So number one, communities have people have to be aware, have to be concerned. The uh, life should continue, but we should we have to step up. And as you know, for 20 years, we've been working on the security of Jewish institutions. And we thank God, have Scan, we have CSS, we have other efforts. But every institution has to make sure that they are secure, and to alert our children to know what to look for and to um, know how to respond. The the um, uh, anybody who, who believes that our future here in America is any different than, let's say, what's happening in Europe or elsewhere. There are differences, and I have to say administration, the vote in Congress this week of 410 to 10, um, the fact that you have a vocal group of people supporting Hamas terrorists is disturbing, but they are very small and we shouldn't feed them. And as you know, my rule was always never to talk about the squid uh, and give them uh, more oxygen. 
the, the fact is that 90 some percent of the House and 99 percent of the Senate stood with Israel, stand with Israel. Even in the UN, they, they, uh, the Chinese and Russians, yes, they had to veto a resolution that was supportive of Israel. Uh, so it is different. We are not alone. We have many allies, including in the Christian evangelical community and elsewhere. But it is a very disturbing time. And one one of the uh, we will be making announcements, I think, in the coming days about some major events. People should not be dissuaded from attending the pro-Israel events and the support for each other and support for us. This is about us and our future, too. And people not just demonstrating for Israel and Achenu ben Israel are are one. We are one people, and when one part of us is attacked, it's, it, we see clearly that it's not talking just about Israelis or Zionists. They're talking about Jews now, and it's it, you know that thin veil has been removed. So concern, I think people should judge what universities they let their children go to much more carefully than they have in the past. Unfortunately, quotas are going to determine also that many universities imposing quotas on Jewish students and Chinese Americans and a few others. Uh, but check them out and find out what is the quality of Jewish life, what is the protection to have their university stood up, that it took this remarkable effort by Mark Rowan and Bill Ackman and some of the others to finally bring to the fore uh, the, the donors who have cut off the contributions. He gave $50 million to Penn, which where I did my doctorate, and, and Huntsman, the non-Jew, who gave, I think, $100 million. They all cut their contributions now. And he started a campaign to send a dollar. 7,000 people followed that we know of. When when Wexner pulled out of out of the, their joint program with Harvard, they told me they got 3 million hits on the, on the uh, announcement. So people want to see that those kind of courageous steps. They want to see us not just sit back and say, well, you know, it's this, it's that. There are no excuses. Universities have to be held to account. We need more lawsuits, and there will be some against those who did not protect Jewish students. That at Cooper, Cooper Union, Jewish students should even should think that they have to lock themselves in a, in a library is, uh, is ridiculous, and that the rally taking place in Bur in the Crown Heights tomorrow, um, that people be told to stay in their houses. That's not the answer. The police should be there and they will be. And the police have been amazing in, in, uh, in New York and in some other parts of the country. But the answer to this is not that that we give in to them. And I think their target will not be, by the way, the, the Chabad community. The target is going to be Chuck Schumer, who lives two blocks away or a block and a half away from there. And that's where they're going to march to, to demonstrate. You're part of many groups that are in touch constantly with law enforcement officials. And one of the scary parts of all this that you just described is that, as you know, there is a recent attitude among law enforcement officials. And I'm not at all belittling them. Uh, we know what they mean to our community. But you have to admit, in recent years, uh, there has been more of a trend to not get involved when it comes to certain things. And there's a slower response very often. And frankly, who can blame them with the way our law enforcement officials are being treated? That whole attitude is scary. If, God forbid, a synagogue, a Jewish business, a Jewish block, a Jewish home is under attack or targeted by the enemy, uh, it's pretty, very scary to, to know that uh, there may not be a support system on the way from local government, or I should say from local law enforcement. Well, we see their presence, you know, touring in, in Jewish neighborhoods. Mayor Adams certainly has um, been very clear on his positions on this. 
but uh, the resources are limited. You have a city council with a bunch of uh, DSA members and others who want to defund the police instead of uh, building them up and and uh, enabling them. That's why the local communities contacts with their precinct. Every synagogue should have a direct relationship, and especially through their community councils or or uh, things like FJCC, which does a remarkable job. And so do the you know Borough Park, Crown Heights, other community councils across the city. Building ties, developing relationships, that's critical if you want them to respond. We have to show them our Hakar Sato for what they do every day and support them and support the allocations of funding and stuff for the for our, all the security forces and develop our own. And that means communities should be making sure that they every shul should have a, a security person, a liaison from the shul, have a, a cell phone in the shul, have a, a, a system to be able to evacuate, that people know where to go if, God forbid, uh, uh, shooters come to the door, keep the doors locked where possible. And, you know, there are steps, enough steps that can be taken that that we protect ourselves, but we, re, we rely on police and we have to make sure that the, the relationships are built up, not when the moment of crisis, but before. Malcolm, remind me, in 2014, what, what, were, were the demonstrations, first of all, were there demonstrations in places like New York to support Hamas in that yes. war? And were they, as yes. vo- were they as vocal? Were they as violent? Were they, no. as, were they as despicable and as large as they are now? The answer is no, no, no. Yes, there were demonstrations, but to see... Others, this Jew, quote, Jewish Voices for Peace, this radical, anti-Jewish, hateful group that uh, joins in the demonstrations and becomes a cover for the others, even though they're very small and um, and, and re- relatively insignificant, but they get a lot of visibility because, uh, you know, supposedly Jews demonstrating against Israel makes noise, makes the news. Uh, but the, yes, you see how many young people of all kinds, not Arabs alone, have joined you see how much more organized we see the impact, and this is very important and it's not the subject for now, of foreign funding in universities. And a lot of information will start coming out soon that will indicate the extent of uh, Arab, uh, sources, Arab sources funding American universities. I'm talking about billions of dollars, even from uh, like a country like Qatar alone and uh, let alone others. They the growth of the number of students that uh, come from those countries and they are are not just coming here for an academic education many of them are propagandists and and uh, tied to to organizations that are uh, uh, should not be allowed to function it's not a matter of free speech it's a matter of people who call for for um, the genocide and and call and and, and make blatantly anti-semitic comments and things that would not be tolerated against any other we will not tolerate it either and you'll see the lawsuits, you'll see other actions. But when the students are called out who signed the hateful declarations and law firms rescinded their offers of jobs, all of a sudden they say, well, we didn't read it. It wasn't my name. It's somebody with a similar name. You know, I didn't know what the letter said. That's how courageous. Why are they wearing masks when they go to the demonstrations if hmm. they're such courageous advocates? The yeah. answer is that they, too, have to be held to account. I don't. I'm not talking about vigilantism. I'm not talking about any kind of physical assaults against them. We just have to have much more on our part. Jewish students should not be afraid. We have to have, make sure that they are secure and that the administrations live up to their responsibility to Jewish students and professors who have done despicable things in their classrooms 
and some get suspended, some have, have taken leave after it was exposed. But when they came out and applauded Hamas's massacre, when they came and and if there's no consequence for it, it's only going to grow. Make sure you have a valid passport. They may actually let you leave. You never know. I recommend having it on your night table right next to your bed. At a moment's notice, you can leave. Um, I don't want people to have to, pl- to panic. I know. People, that's I, not the right response I know, for but us. But I, you are right. But you're right. People should make sure that you have at least six months on your passport at any time. But it, it's not a question just of running. At times, we have to say we're not running. We're going to stand up. This is our right. We have a right to demand of our elected officials and our security uh, forces and, and police the protection that we are entitled to and to 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 take a stand. And the more bold we are, the less they will do to us. And I can only imagine, especially you and your family history, how often you're thinking of comparisons to the 1930s. It's got to cross your mind constantly. Which I rejected all the years, including on this show, and saying we shouldn't because we have the state of Israel because of this. After what I saw in Biri, after what I saw in Steyrot, I I saw the Shoah. I, I do not, I do not think anymore the same. I can't think the same. I can't describe what I saw because I don't have the words that can possibly capture the horror and the and the extent of it. But I saw the Shoah, and and I'm telling you, people have to wake up to this reality. Again, we have a state of Israel. We're not in the same circumstance. Uh, many differences, and I don't, and we shouldn't belittle the horrors of the Holocaust by by you know these uh, false uh, analogies. But to be aware and to be woken up and to say that if we don't act now, our children will pay a very heavy price. Wow. And finally, I just have to point out, they may not have a state, they may not have a country, they may not have an official government, but one thing now we know is Hamas really has an army. I mean, they literally, they, 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 Israel, Israel is taking out, and I know I said this to you last week, Israel's taking out leaders and key people in Hamas every single day, and it seems endless just how many people are in the leadership and in positions of power to guide thousands of Jew haters to do the types of things that you saw. And in addition to that, when the hostage came out this week and described the tunnels, I mean, they literally must have, as you've said, they must have taken every single penny that has ever been given to them by the UN, European countries, and others, literally spent all that money to create this underground infrastructure that, based on the videos we we saw and the descriptions we heard, is, is simply unbelievable. It is, in fact, hard to believe. And this is where- And it the- goes from north to south, not only in, in one area, it go, covers vast areas. Israel has collapsed some of the tunnels, but they have to be careful because we know that the hostages are being kept in tunnels, according to the reports. We shouldn't judge the hostages by what they say. Remember, their husbands are still, uh, uh, one right. who spoke, uh, right. are still in captivity. Right. That the that the number of members of of Hamas, people think it's a ragtag small group of of these terrorists who participate in the demonstrations. It's an army. The estimates are between up to forty thousand members, and and even more in Hezbollah. But. But Hamas, 40,000, and then you have Palestinian Islamic Jihad with another 10,000, and they are even more vicious and, and more directly controlled by by Iran. Malcolm, and, do you know do you know what kind of financial and construction infrastructure you have to have to build a tunnel system like that? 
Of course they do. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's what some why we've been warning about it that they've been diverting all the funds that they when they complained about the schools and they complain about the the water the, not having water. It's because their own fault. It's because of this. And 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 Arab leaders kept saying to us, it's a kleptocracy. They steal all the money we give. Nothing ends up with the people. You know they charge when Israeli when people in Gaza work in in Israel. They take fifteen percent off the, their salary, whatever they earn. They, they 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 steal everything and when food and when shipments are sent in Israel's not blocking it because they they want to punish the people so much as it's stuff that gets diverted to to Hamas and to its troops and and to the fuel that they have they have 500,000 liters of fuel sitting there it's a lie that they perpetrate that the just like about the hospital and yet the western even after it's proven they they all know that it's a lie and they continue to, to um, reiterate it, and and we have to stand up to it and call and say, this is outrageous. It's not tolerable. When you hear the guests on some of the shows, radio and TV shows being interviewed, call up and blast about it, and tell the truth about it. It's it's imperative. It's not fighting. You know, uh, any of the civilians that died died because of Hamas's aggression and and actions, not because Israel wants to kill civilians. Unlike Hamas which set out to do the most dastardly acts against, and, and by the way, even civilians from uh, Gaza followed the troops in and engaged in, in some of the horrific acts that are not even describable to people. And, of course, the sympathy for Israel has already dissipated. I don't remember ever in the last two years anybody, government official, uh, anybody, a commentator on the news ever being concerned about Russian civilians uh, being a, uh, a victim of uh, attacks by the Ukrainians as they continue uh, trying to defend themselves in that war. But when it comes to Israel, if we have if we don't follow the rules of war and we don't follow the instructions of the United States. Oh, by the way, I before I let you go, the clock has got us. But I, this is what I said to our listeners early in the week. You must address the outrageous analysis of this war by the United Nations Secretary General. Absolutely. It is uh, It is the same thing that's happened to many of the others in the past, that they start off being good guys, they come in, they say the right things, and they get into the grips of, of, of the anti-Semitic infrastructure of the United Nations and make the most outrageous and terrible comments. This isn't the first. He was at the border of Egypt and he called on Israel and demanded that Israel, now in all the trucks and everything, and yet he claims now in response to the criticisms that he's reached, he said he's horrified that anybody thinks he supported or didn't condemn the Hamas. He said, if you look at my speech, I actually condemned them. Then he said that there's context and, you know, there's 65 years of oppression. And so I said, we should do a campaign, buy the UN a map, let him see where Gaza is, that Gaza has no Israeli troops, there's no occupation, there's no settlements, there's nothing. And yet, yet his references and lumping the West Bank and Gaza together, Gaza had every opportunity to become an idealistic place. It could have been Singapore. It could have been Hong Kong in the old days. And they wanted to. They were on the beach. They had resorts. They had other facilities. They had the, the greenhouses. People should remind everyone that Israel left them all of these things. And what did they do? They destroyed it all. And Hamas has no interest in, in the well-being of the people. They only want to do it for themselves, to, and their leadership lives in luxury in Qatar. They're not sitting in Gaza City, so, and they don't mind when the people suffer. So this is, you know, the mythologies have to be broken, and when somebody from the Secretary General of the UN can make the statements, whatever context, if it isn't clear, it's his fault that it's not clear. And, and clearly the remarks that he made, the opening remarks, were not acceptable.
and and I think you know the pressure on him will continue, and nobody should host him now. And the same thing of others who who make statements that are unacceptable, no excuses, no covering up. Now this is a line in the sand. This is about our security, our future, about <laughs> hatred of Jews, and about the future of the Jews. You have you have had a very good relationship with many UN secretary generals in the Including last him. in the last forty Including years. You, you would not host him now. I would not meet with him. I would not host him now. And I've met with him many times. And, you know, in private, he, he tells us what a good friend he is. And, you know, his wife was in, working on the Jewish Museum in, in Portugal and because he is Portuguese. And, you know, but it deterioration and, and you know, it, whether it's the, the whole atmosphere and context of the United Nations, which is blatantly anti-Semitic and the people work there. And, you know, you see very few Israelis moving up in the ranks. Uh, of the United Nations and the, the, the you know, the, the power of his words is that it gives legitimacy then to the claims and regardless, and if he, again, if it's not what he meant, then he should have said it more artfully and he should have said it more carefully. And he knows what the, the, how every word becomes important when he speaks. So I would not host him. And I've talked to others who have hosted him in the past, urging them no longer should wow. he be a welcome guest? Wow, wow. Until he gets up and does a true mea culpa and, and you know, acts in, in, in a very different manner and ends commission of inquiry against Israel. Now we see why this is such an outrage that millions and millions of U.N. dollars are going into just the persecution of Israel with an unlimited budget, unlimited timeline, in addition to the two commissions on Palestinians, which works as propaganda machines against Israel 24-7 for years and years and years and funded by so millions and millions of dollars are being spent by the United Nations just to go after Israel. That has to stop, too. Malcolm, can't thank you enough. We pray for peace for uh, all of us around the world, and especially our brothers and sisters in Israel. I wish you a Shabbat Shalom, and I thank you for joining us this morning. Shabbat Shalom to everybody, and pray uh, especially hard this week for all of the families. And I, I will just tell you one thing. The Great Synagogue hosted the families who are staying at the Plaza Hotel. There are 500 from Kfar Mimon. And they came, many of them, hundreds came to school on Shabbos. We made a big Kiddush for them. But when it came time for Kaddish, I would say between 50 and 100 people got up and said Kaddish. It was heartbreaking to understand every family was affected. Every, you see a father linking arms with his two young sons and they all got up to say Kaddish. The number actually was greater than that who got up. It, it just resounded through the whole shul, and you know, it's a big place. And we're doing much more to, to try and help them, and everything we do for all of these families is really essential now. And the needs are endless, as we've, as we've said all week long. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is a vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us. Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update right here at JM in the A.